Welcome to Police Radio Podcast, episode number seven. I'm your host, Billy Morrison. Thanks for sticking with the podcast. There's been, uh, you may have noticed, a bit of a break between episode six and episode seven. And for this, there are many excuses, and I won't bore you with those. However, um, we're back, and I've been looking forward to recording this, but it's just not been possible over the last couple of weeks. Anyhow, this episode, as advertised, is going to be about secrets. And the types of secrets that I want to talk about in this one is uh, around investigations. I had a recent conversation with a friend of mine uh, who uh, still is in policing, who was reflecting on some of the comments that they'd received recently from people even within some of the organizations that are directly related to police work. Um, Obviously, the conversations weren't with other police officers, but were with agencies that have a day-to-day ongoing relationship with police services. And even to hear those kinds of um, disconnects in terms of the understanding of what police work is and the kinds of things that it entails in or coming from an organization that is engaged every day by its nature with the police directly was uh, a little surprising. Maybe I was somewhat surprised by it, but um, interesting nonetheless. And and I think it also reflects the wider lack of understanding that uh, exists out there. And and I think that this is a uh, an area in which there is a degree of understanding that I think is maybe able to be developed with some um, discussion around some basic principles. And what I want to talk about is, as I said, the the secrecy of investigations and police investigations. And to give a little bit of context, for example, somebody might call, they might call in a tip or they might give some information to the police or even make a complaint about something, maybe, you know, some kind of ongoing criminal activity whether it's a chop shop or a, you know, a, a grow operation or a, you know, drug lab or something like that. And that information is received by the police. And then, and then the person who's provided that to the police can get the impression that nothing is happening. And that's totally legitimate. Like it's absolutely the case that that person would get that impression because it's actually with that sort of information being brought to the police's attention, it is part of or becomes part of a potential criminal investigation, or at least it, it will be treated very often as a, a lead, whether the the subject matter of the information itself is already known by the police and there may be an ongoing investigation already, or it might start a new investigation. And whatever the case might be, the activities of the police to look into that matter are and will be, at least in Canada, and I'm pretty sure this holds true um, in just about every modern Western-style policing that goes on probably around the world, those kinds of activities by the police are necessarily kept very closely guarded secrets. The, um, and, and the reason for that is pretty simple is that 
let's let's just make a hypothetical situation to help clarify. So if I believe that my neighboring business is operating an illegal chop shop where they're bringing in stolen cars and chopping them up, selling them for parts or something like that. And I give that information to the police in some way, either in an anonymous tip or, you know, just calling and saying, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about something. And I give that information, whatever I have, and convey it to the police. First of all, the police don't know who I am. They don't know if I may have a role in that illegal activity. And so to make me aware of what they're doing with that information could put the entire investigation into jeopardy because that's not unheard of that, you know, the, the criminal element themselves are providing or feeding information to the police for their own purposes. And so the information has got to be handled pretty carefully and the steps taken by the police has to have to be handled pretty carefully that so there there's the the unknown source of the information or the quality of the source and even though you may know full well if you call the police and and want to give them info information and you do give them information you know full well that you know you're not up to anything other than hey i'm just trying to help out and pass along some information the police can't treat you like a partner They'll thank you for the information. They'll be civil with you. They'll take the details and go go on with it. But they they can't run the risk of treating you as though you're a partner with them because they don't know that for sure and they can't be sure of that for sure. And then there's a whole bunch of other reasons as to um, why you can't be informed as to the investigative steps that are being taken um, because there's lots of potential things that can go wrong. There's there's privacy concerns uh, for any people that are involved. There's the potential that releasing any information to you might jeopardize an investigation into that incident that you're reporting or into another incident or into another investigation that might be somewhat related to that incident or, or what have you. So that information has got to be really closely guarded. And releasing that information improperly to the public and that person making that report is for all intents and purposes, a member of the public can jeopardize any potential uh, court process or, or charges or trial that might happen where that information might be brought into question at court. So the, the reasons why these secrets are kept are really actually quite good reasons. Um, they may not be comfortable to know that secrets are being kept from us just as people, you know, we're not comfortable with that. Um, but there are certainly circumstances that warrant a degree of secrecy. And those are just a few of them. The, the other thing that needs to be I th probably understood is that investigations can take a really long time in some instances. The, they are very rarely simple. The simplest ones, of course, being the ones where the police are called at a, at a, an incident that's happening in a moment, something like an assault, you know, of a street fight and peop there's two people on the street that are they're fighting with each other. Police get called, they show up, the people that are fighting are still there and, and they can usually investigate that, investigate that type of incident quite quickly and get to the bottom of it and, and get a some sort of a resolution or some sort of process started to uh, deal with that conflict that happened there. But in many other kinds of police investigations, 
the nature of those circumstances are not as cut and dry. They're not as simple as, you know, Tommy punched Peter in the face. They can involve lots of different kinds of evidence, documentary evidence, uh, obviously statement, testimony evidence, real physical evidence. And gathering all of those things can take a lot of time, particularly when some of that evidence is in a private residence or some kind of premise that a warrant needs to be obtained to go in there or information needs to be obtained through a warrant. And so getting a warrant in many cases involves quite a a process of getting background information and, and establishing some facts around or at least some really good suspicions around the the basis of the warrant you know and when what a warrant is in very simple terms is when uh, you go to the court and you ask the court to authorize you by the court's authority to do something and so for example a search warrant will it will be obtained in canada by going to the courts talking to a justice of the peace or a judge and getting them to issue that warrant but they need to be convinced that it's important that the warrant be issued because a warrant means that rights are being set aside, rights to the privacy of that premise, rights to uh, against something like um, arbitrary search. It can't be arbitrary. So the information that forms the basis of that warrant that's communicated to the court has to be convincing enough for the court to say, yes, I believe that there is good reason, good grounds here to proceed with that warrant. And, and even getting that information to get to the point where you can get the warrant can take a lot of time. So the investigations themselves are often quite time consuming. Adding that or adding to both of those features, the secrecy requirement and the the time time consuming nature of invest of these kinds of investigations is the fact that when you look at any scene or situation as a police officer, the truth is you don't know what you're really looking at. And I was lucky enough to do a ride along uh, uh, quite a number of years ago now with an officer who was extraordinarily professional. And they were a forensic guidance officer. And this was before I became a police officer myself. And this, this officer left me with a, a sort of kernel of wisdom that stuck with me. We went to a break and enter scene, and this officer was very thorough. In, in trying to obtain fingerprints from nearly any surface that could have been touched. They picked up cigarette butts off the ground and, and stored them and, and retained them as evidence. And they were so thorough and diligent. And I was, I was struck by that. And I asked, you know, you're really going to great lengths here. And, and, and the other thing was that it was a break and enter into a business and nothing was stolen. Nothing had been stolen, but, but there was obviously the criminal intent, et cetera, uh, behind that, that incident. And the explanation to me was, yeah, because I don't know what I'm looking at. It might look like a simple break and enter, a one-off, where somebody might have, you know, gone through the door and tried to find money that might have been left in a cash register overnight and then left. But until we know otherwise, this could be a part of a larger investigation involving multiple break and enters, maybe hundreds, maybe more than that, maybe break and enters with assaults or break and enters with uh, a homicide involved. But until we know better, we don't know any better. So we got to treat it that way. And so that element of really not knowing what you're looking at, because it can be a part of a much larger picture, 
And sometimes it is part of a much larger picture. And that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that that incident that, that Joe Public reports or that you know situation that they're aware of, that our hypothetical chop shop from earlier, can quite easily be a part of a much larger series of crimes or, or other things that are being investigated. And so the time involved can be much longer than you might imagine. And the reasons and rationale behind keeping things quiet can be much more important than you, you ever might realize. So hopefully that'll help uh, help bring a little bit of understanding. And it might even raise a few questions about, you know, why the secrecy and, and why the tight-lipped nature of uh, police investigations. But also the the issue around the media. The media's job is is not so much to bring you the facts, you know. They, they sort of present it that way, that, yeah, we're going to bring you the facts. But their job is to get advertisers' audiences, get audiences for the advertisements. And the audience is likely to be bigger the more compelling the content is. And if there's been a, a crime that's been sort of visible and, and action-packed or whatever, then the media jumps on that, and they report really quickly on it. And a lot of the the facts or quote-unquote facts that are presented in the evening news are sort of hastily gathered and, and not necessarily actual facts, but have been reported to the media and then the media reports it to us. So it can be quite quick and it can be quite um, inaccurate. But again, that's not really the point of the media is to be totally accurate all the time. So we don't need to blame them for that. We just need to understand what it is they actually do to make money which is provide audiences to advertisers. The media is very rarely given the full story when the police are in an investigation. And that's out of necessity as well. And so you'll get lots of vague sort of details coming from, you know, spokespeople people from the police about it. And that's for all of those reasons that I've already mentioned. And probably not least among those reasons is the fact that during an investigation, we don't know what has happened. That's why we're investigating. That's why the investigating is still going on. That's why it's still happening. That's why inquiries are still being made. That's why people are still being spoken to. That's why evidence is still being gathered. Because we don't know. We don't know what's happened. So for the police to come out and say, yeah, this is what happened, or to give away you know, all the information that they've got, it can be maybe panic-inducing when there's no need to panic. Or maybe it can be reassuring when really we shouldn't be reassured. Or... Who knows what the potential outcomes could be? Because again, anything that's stated during the course of investigation has got to be carefully worded, has got to be very carefully considered before it is shared. Because especially in broadcast communications, the information is going out to everyone, including the perpetrator of a crime, for example. Or people who are prone to, you know, immense worry or concern. And so it's, it's just got to be very carefully done and very closely uh, monitored and, and carefully delivered. So that often results in saying nothing or next to nothing 
which is probably the best course of action in most of those instances. So yeah, a bit of a short one this time around. Uh, won't be such a long wait till the next one. But thanks again for listening, and we'll see you for uh, episode eight sometime very soon. Thanks again, and bye for now.